Hey there, folks. Welcome to Breaking the Glass, Radio Film School's special mini-series about gender, race, and making it in the film and television biz. So why this special episode about this election? The many months and even years leading up to the U.S. election have been quite a ride. And in all the media mayhem and brouhaha, there's one fact that can't be ignored. For the first time in history, a woman was nominated by a major political party in the U.S. for President of the United States. Regardless of where you stand on the politics... That is a milestone worth noting. The episode you're about to hear was completely put together by show regular and co-producer of the Breaking the Glass series, Yolanda Cochran. And I think it's something really worth listening to. Now, admittedly, it was written and recorded prior to the results of this week's election. So you'll no doubt notice an air of hope and inspiration in Yolanda's voice at the thought of this year being the year that that ultimate glass ceiling has been broken and the U.S. would elect its first female president. And as Yolanda will allude to in the piece you're about to hear, it does seem odd that of all the major and powerful countries on this planet, the U.S. is still one of the ones that has not yet had a female president. At the end of this episode, I have my own post-election commentary that I'd like to share. But it's not about the state of the country so much as it is about the state of our industry, an industry that I deeply care about. All right, without further ado... Here's Breaking the Glass co-producer, Yolanda Cochran. Over the course of the Breaking the Glass series, we've noted commonality of experience among women in the entertainment industry. Among them are double standards applied to women versus men, differences in communication styles, and just plain old differences in expectations about the abilities, the intellectual capacity, and level of stamina or dedication to the work. The fact of the matter is, these commonalities apply to all women, not just those in entertainment. No wonder then that over the course of the last 18 months to two years, we've watched these barriers play out on a national stage and have sadly borne witness to so many of our daily challenges throughout. Of course, I'm talking about the remarkable election of 2016. Hillary Clinton is on the verge of becoming the first female president of the United States of America. What exactly has taken us so long? The first female premier minister was elected in Sri Lanka in 1960, and the first female president was elected in Argentina in 1974. Even in our own country's history, one of the first women of a major political party ambitious and confident enough to deem herself able and qualified to run was over 30 years ago. Shirley Chisholm of Brooklyn, New York. I am not the candidate of black America, although I am black and proud. When politicians come out from every corner to get the most important thing, you have your vote. Why is it that it has to always be white males, white males, white males? I am not the candidate of the women's movement of this country, although I am a woman, and I'm equally proud of that. I am the candidate of the people of America. And my presence before you now symbolizes a new era in American political history. Studies show that young girls start out just as idealistic and ambitious as boys, but somewhere around the latter part of primary education, both overt and indirect messages begin the destructive work of telling them what they can't be and what they can achieve. I want to be president. 
But when I'm 13, I won't anymore. Because no one will tell me that I can do this. They tell me other things like, don't raise your hand so much. Wait your turn. Let the other kids answer. Be a good girl. They'll joke that I'm bossy instead of telling me that I'm a leader. So I'll give up. But if grown-ups like my mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, and even my teachers just told me that I belonged here, I would believe them. I'd know if I run for office someday, I can win just like any boy. I want to be a mayor, a governor, a senator, a president. Tell me I can, and I will. The messages we communicate to boys and girls alike are ingrained from the earliest of ages. So deeply ingrained, we very often can't see past them. I'm betting that you've likely heard an urban riddle that lays this bare. It goes something like this. A father and son were in a car accident. The father died, and the son was taken to the hospital. Upon arrival to surgery, the doctor arrives and says, I can't operate on this boy. He's my son. How is this possible? Go ahead. I'll give you a minute. If you've never heard this one before, maybe you're still stumped. I'll help you out. The doctor is a woman, the patient's mother. For all those over the years who couldn't get that plain and simple answer, sadly including myself when I first heard it years ago, what is it in us that could not possibly even consider that the doctor was a woman? Shonda Rhimes is one of the most successful showrunners on the planet, male or female. In her hit series, Grey's Anatomy, Dr. Miranda Bailey demonstrates why she deserves to be chief of surgery. Here's her great example of a woman highlighting her skills and accomplishments while making her case for why she is the best candidate to be the leader of a team. See, I don't care if this place is the shiniest or the fanciest or if it's a beat up hunk of junk. As far as I'm concerned, it'll always be the ship that made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. This is not a stepping stone for me. I believe in this hospital and what it can do. And I want to push this bucket of bolts to do the most impossible things you have ever seen. And then I'll do more because this is my challenge. This bleed on the fossil. Clam, use the argon beam. Avoid CBD. Slowly. Let me. Good. There. This job was made for me, Staples. This job belongs to me, Suction. I have earned first chair, Suture. And every single one of you already knows it. Ready to close. Dr. Bailey was successful and became that chief of surgery. 
when women can persevere and push past the limitations of expectations and recognize our own value and abilities, we of course can achieve anything we desire. But doing so generally involves a lot of pushing through and fighting against these barriers all along the way. Indeed, our Breaking the Glass series has from the beginning endeavored to both highlight the challenges and find solutions to them. If you've been following along, you'll know that one solution we've identified is women making certain to highlight and claim their achievements, to seek higher station and authority. But as is too often the case, when women put themselves forth for more power and authority, they are punished for it, deemed too ambitious. In an article written this February by Susan Doyle for Quartz, she cites a Harvard study that finds When participants saw female politicians as power-seeking, they also saw them as having less communality, while this was not true of their perceptions of power-seeking male politicians. Power-seeking men were seen as strong and competent. Power-seeking women were greeted by both sexes with moral outrage. This has been particularly true of Hillary Clinton. Doyle writes, Public opinion of Clinton has followed a fixed pattern throughout her career. Her public approval plummets whenever she applies for a new position, then it soars when she gets the job. The wild difference between the way we talk about Clinton when she campaigns and the way we talk about her when she's in office can't be explained as ordinary political mudslinging. Rather, the predictable swings of public opinion reveal Americans' continued prejudice against women caught in the act of asking for power. One gets the impression that, excuse me, you're really not... All that interested possibly in state dinners and teas and garden parties. Can a first lady be both popular and opinionated? Do you like doing stuff, Hillary, like saying, I like that um, yellow tablecloth? Do you think the American people are ready yet to have a first lady who has strong opinions? You're not Martha Stewart? And millions of other people see you as a very threatening person. Scripted, cautious, right. safe, well, but I think armored. Part... What about the comparisons to Lady Macbeth? Do you think it's because you're a powerful woman? Well, there are people out there who have this idea that you're not trustworthy, that they don't like you for some reason. What is that about, in your opinion? I suppose I could have stayed home and baked cookies and had teas, but what I decided to do was to fulfill my profession, which I entered before my husband was in public life. One cannot live one's life based on what somebody else's image of you might be. Even the way women communicate can garner ridicule regardless of whether the same manner of communication is applicable to both men and women. I think a lot of it with Hillary Clinton has to do with style and delivery, oddly enough. She shouts. Last night I was watching her and I said to myself, has nobody told her that the microphone works? Because she always keeps it up here. The genius of Reagan was, Koki. Reagan kept it down low. If he, well, he knew is, how these are rallies, though, and it's hard I, to do that at a rally. No. It, her, but her, also, her message is fighting for us, and you know, when she's loud and feisty, it's trying to support this narrative that she's fighting for us. There certainly aren't many examples of male politicians shouting. I'm going to fight for every American of every background in every stretch of this nation. I'm going to fight 
For every mother who has lost her child to illegal immigration or drugs or gang violence. And most of all, across these 50 states as I've traveled, what I've seen is the thing that really makes America great. No, it's, it's you. It doesn't matter. All of us pledging allegiance to the red, white, and blue. That's Fortunately, though change is slow, it does eventually come. This election season has been like none other before it. It's inspired great anxiety and the diminishing of public discourse and community. But as painfully difficult as it may seem, there are big bright spots to point to. And I believe that positive will be a takedown of the long-standing and destructive trope that women are nothing other than competitive with each other. And in fact, the support of women during the campaign has been like nothing we've seen before. Countless congresswomen and senators have come out in strong support of her, also former female cabinet members. How wonderful it's been to see a campaign stage with two particularly powerful and arguably popular political figures and neither need be a man. At a campaign rally in Cincinnati, just after Hillary clinched the Democratic nomination, intelligent and formidable Senator Elizabeth Warren came out in full support despite implications that the two aren't natural allies. Now, I'm here today because I'm with her. Yes, her. here today because we're with her and we're going to work our hearts out to make Hillary Clinton the next president of the United States. Yes. I'm ready. Are you ready for this? Yeah. And even more exceptional, think of the enduring history of this. In North Carolina, land of Dixie, an African-American first lady stood on a stage in support of the effort of a prior first lady to become the next president of the United States of America. I don't know about you, but I'm fired up. We're going to make this happen. Now, you may have noticed that I have been doing some campaigning for Hillary. And I know that there are some folks out there who have commented that It's been unprecedented for a sitting first lady to be so actively engaged in a presidential campaign. And and that may be true, (laughs) but what's also true is that this is truly an unprecedented election. And that's why I'm out here. I'm, I'm out here first and foremost because we have never had a more qualified and prepared candidate for president than our friend Hillary Clinton. Never before in our lifetime. I say this everywhere I go. I admire and respect Hillary. She has been a lawyer, a law professor, first lady of Arkansas, first lady of the United States, a U.S. senator, secretary of state. She has... Yeah, 
That's right. Hillary doesn't play. She has more experience, more than Barack, more than Bill. So she is absolutely ready to be commander-in-chief on day one. And yes, she happens to be a woman. Yes, change and progress are slow. But as of this recording, just prior to the election results, I'm optimistic. Tomorrow, there may be a new and shining example for all our girls and boys that you can do and be anything you desire if you're ready to work for it and hold high your accomplishments. And my presence before you now symbolizes a new era in American political history. If you can't support me, or you can't endorse me, get out of my way. You do your thing, and let me do mine. On the morning of November 9th, 2016, Donald J. Trump became the 45th president-elect of the United States. Due to those election results, we debated whether or not to even run this episode. And if we did, whether or not to include that ending. Yolanda was concerned whether or not it would be a terrible listen given the outcome. And while there is a bittersweet tinge to Yolanda And while there is a bittersweet tinge to Yolanda's epi- And while there is a bittersweet tinge to Yolanda's ending, I don't think the results of this election take away from the power of the message. And, I don't know, I'm going to go off script here because, you know, I wrote something and I think this is one of those situations where you just kind of need to speak from your heart. You know, obviously, a lot of people's feelings around this election have been extremely raw for various reasons. Um, regardless of what side of the fence you are, you're on, um, you have very passionate feelings, feelings about this country, feelings about whichever side that you support. If you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you're a man, if you're white, if you're black, everyone has a feeling about this election, about the state of this country, maybe even the state of the world. This is not what this protest is about. So stop. And, you know, obviously, Yolanda wrote this when, uh, leading up to the election, when there was a lot of thought that Hillary Clinton may become the first woman president. And to be frank and honest, I'm not a huge Hillary fan. I'm not a huge fan of politics in general. But you can't deny what it would have meant to have the first woman president, what that would have meant to millions of women in this country. And again... I don't want this to be about politics, however you feel about Hillary or Donald or whatnot. And so, you know, leading into the election, Yolanda was really excited about the possibility of having the first woman president and what that meant. And I think 
that was infused and imbued in her recording and in the episode and the clip she picked and the message she had at the end. So I'm sure it was really disheartening for her to be in the situation she was where she had this episode that she had recorded, which was filled with hope and excitement and inspiration for women and young girls across the country that on this morning we had our first woman president and we didn't have it. And I just want to say that one, again, as I mentioned, um, I think that regardless of the election results, the message isn't lost, that there is still hope for the little girls out there who want to become the first woman president. And I think that what's important for people to remember, and which the message that I want to get across, which is one that's been kind of, I don't know, hard for people to understand or to get, is that we just need to listen. Like, we need to hear what we all have to say. We need to hear what is on our hearts, regardless, of, again, regardless of what your issue is. I think there are people on each side who have legitimate fears or legitimate concerns or legitimate feelings that are worth validating, even if you don't agree with them. And um, I think I think this message that Yolanda put together is important because it's the voice of a passionate woman who had something important to say, something that is inspiring, something that hopefully will still spark um, hope and inspiration to those of you who may listen to it, regardless of whether or not the outcome was what you wanted. And, you know, as someone who has been a professional in this industry, you know, for, you know, over 15 years, um, it's been, I have to admit, it's been kind of sad seeing what I've been seeing and reading the kind of things I've seen and heard and read. And, uh, you know, leaders in this industry, in both the photography and the video industry, saying things which, I don't know, I guess are kind of hurtful, you know, things that, you know, there are people who are friends of yours that are close to you that have said things that you would never think a friend of yours would say um, or feel. And again, I think that's on both sides. I'm sure there are people on either side of the proverbial fence who have seen, heard, or read things that their friends or family members have said that surprises them. And um, I think I think what's been hard for me is seeing leaders in our industry take certain stances that don't seem very leader-like, just to be frank and honest with you. Again, not visual industry across the board. I saw on the Facebook post of a high-profile photographer, a woman of color, share a very civil, cogent argument for why she was afraid. Um, and again, regardless of whether or not you acknowledge or validate her reasons for being afraid they are worth they are her feelings and they're worth acknowledging and she had shared them in a way that was really civil and and reasoned and 
not attacking in any way. And this particular photographer basically told her to take your whiny ass away and unfriend me if you don't like what I'm saying. Which is this person's right to do. But this is a person who is extremely well respected in the industry, has a huge following, has been a leader in the photography industry. And when I read that, I was like, wow, that's, again, disheartening. Um, and in my own industry, I've seen the same thing. You know, people who are leaders who are saying and doing things that just, for lack of a better word, just don't seem leader-like. They seem mean. And my encouragement, and I want to say I've also seen leaders in our industry who have taken the high road, um, who have made a choice to use their platform for positivity. And um, I don't know. I I was speaking to another uh, fellow uh, artist in this industry and who has um, a following. And we were talking about, you know, what do we do in situations like this when there is such a heated divide over a topic? Do we use our platform to be political? Do we use our platform to share what we, how we feel and risk, you know, losing endorsements or risk losing listeners or risk losing followers or risk losing readers to our blog or whatever the case may be. And each person has to make his or her own decision as to what stance they want to take and how they want to use their respective platforms. And, you know, it's been, you know, hard for me as a person with some moderate following uh, in this industry to take public stances that I know may be unpopular among some. I always try to do it in a way that's respectful, in a way that is uh, inspirational, in a way that wherein I try to hear the other side. And if there's ever been a post I've made or a comment I've made that suggests that I haven't listened, my sincerest apologies. But I just want to encourage those of you who are listening, who are in positions of leadership in this industry, when I say this industry, I mean the creative arts industry, whether you're a filmmaker, a photographer, a graphic designer, a musician, an author. I know that creative people are passionate. I know that it's because of that passion that you're able to be an artist. I mean, you have to have passion to be an artist and make a living in this business. That's the only thing that sometimes that can actually get you through. And it's important. But I also think it's important to listen. I also think it's important that if you're in a position of leadership where people look up to you, where tens of thousands of people follow you and are inspired by you and want to learn from you. I would just encourage you to take into consideration that things you say affect people and they, and people have real feelings and people, and sometimes things you say hurt people. Um, even if you feel you have justification and facts to back up whatever you're saying there are ways you can say it that don't alienate other people there are things that you can do that inspire togetherness rather than divisiveness and you know regardless of what you think about the current president and the first lady and regardless of where you stand on the side of politics 
her speech about when they go low, you go high, is applicable to anybody on either side of the fence. That when someone you don't agree with says something that is mean or disrespectful or hurtful, you don't have to respond in kind. You don't have to stoop down to their level. And I would say that if you're a leader in this industry, you're obligated to rise above it, to be a leader that inspires both sides to come together. And if you don't do that, then I don't know. I think that questions definitely doesn't question a person's talent or their ability to uh, inform or educate. But, you know, I think it does question leadership and what it means to be a leader. And that would be my hope for this industry, that if you know you're the kind of person that people follow, that people listen to. And for some of you, that may mean you have a hundred Facebook followers. For some of you, you have tens of thousands of Facebook followers or any, or Instagram followers or Twitter followers. Um, really, if you have any kind of audience, but if, if you're the kind of person that it's obvious and empirical that you're a leader, I would just implore you. I would just ask you. I would fucking beg you. Think about the responsibility. If I, be, if I may be so geeky as to uh, invoke Peter Parker, famous, rather cliched, but still important message. With great power comes great responsibility. And I would just hope that uh, leaves our industry remember that. And remember that there are people who are real people on the other side of those Facebook posts or those Twitter rants or those Instagram posts who have feelings about this. Um, and again, regardless of which side you're on, if you're a leader, just keep in mind that there are real people who care, who are listening, who are following you. And, you know, a month, two months, a year from now, hopefully this will all blow over and we can move on. Um, but just lead us, inspire us, make us want to follow you, make us want to listen to every word you say help us to understand how you feel not by pushing us away but by inviting us in and saying hey this is why I feel the way I feel this is why my heart hurts or this is why I'm frustrated or this is why I'm mad at what's been going on in our country for the past eight years or this is why I'm scared now given what's going to happen in the next four years Invite us into the conversation in a way that make us that makes us feel welcomed and appreciated and acknowledged. And you don't have to be a leader to do that. I think everyone should do that. But I think if you are a leader, it's more important that you do that. Anyway, this is why it's important for me to script these things, because if I don't, I rant and they go on. So I think that's all there is for I have to say for that. Um, I know a lot of us are sick of this election. So that's it. Remember. If the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on.